I'm Sherry Sylvester, host of the Ninth in Congress podcast. I've been working at the nexus of politics and public policy my entire career. On Ninth in Congress, I'll be talking about my journey from the progressive left to the conservative right and my past two decades in the Texas Capitol with key policy and political players who have made our state a conservative model for the world. Subscribe now, wherever you get your podcasts. Is climate change or climate alarmism what's really killing people? Are students graduating from high school graduating with what they need to succeed? And how do you be a mom and have a career and handle it all wonderfully? My name is Ariana Silva. This is Sweet Tea. And today I'm joined by a guest host, uh, Ms. Britt Allen. Do you want to introduce yourself? <laughs> yeah, I'm Britt Allen, and I'm the digital marketing manager with Right on Crime here at TPPF. And today we're going to be t getting into uh, some talks about uh, school, climate alarmism, mm -hmm. and the story of Courtney. Would you like to introduce yourself and what you do now? I'm Courtney Bagley, and um, I've been here for about a year and a half. Before that, I taught public school for 20 years. Um, I have four boys and five dogs, and, um, <laughs> and my husband, um, who's a trooper through it all. So you're not busy at all, are you? No, not at all. <laughs> so four not boys, five dogs. Yeah, you didn't have well, like the dogs a dog are, to a kid ratio. The dogs or? are a recent addition. It's a long story, but um, all five of them. Two, three of them are new. Okay. So um, the cuteness is wearing off quickly. Do the boys help <laughs> yeah. at all? No, um, they're all out of the house. Oh really? So, I didn't know they yeah. the last one. Okay. Yep. Yep. They're all out of the house. I try to get them to come back and help on the weekends, but they're not too <laughs> they're not too keen on that. Sure. So yeah. what do you do uh, here at the foundation? So I'm the education coordinator for Life Powered. And um, back in 2019, there were some changes to the science teaks. And um, just to be uh, more inclusive of the role of energy in our life and in our science. And so um, to that end, I'm here just trying to educate teachers about these new changes and provide lessons and resources. You know, um, we did a summer institute in Midland where we took mm. teachers out there and told them the story from start to finish about um, where their energy comes from. So you know, just different things to help engage teachers. And, mm -hmm. you know, especially with elementary school teachers, whenever they go to college, they just get this general overview of mm -hmm. um, the sciences. And so when they get to the classroom, they don't really have um, maybe the in-depth understanding that they need for all of their subject areas. And so this is just one way to help support them, um, especially, you know, on the elementary level. So it level. supplements mm -hmm. the other areas that they, that they want to fill right. in some of those mm -hmm. gaps. Right. Gotcha. And then for someone who maybe wouldn't know what TEKS is, I know we throw that word around a lot here at the foundation. What is it? So it stands for Texas Essential Knowledge and Skills, mm -hmm. and it's the um, set of education standards that really mandate what teachers teach in the classroom. And so um, they were updated generally every 10 years. Um, there have been some changes over this um, past session, and we're waiting for the new rules to come out about mm -hmm. that. But, um, but right now it's every 10 years they update and change the TEKS um, based on uh, what teachers have to say, what mm. public has to say, and also what the test scores tell us yeah. um, as far as how kids have been doing um, over the last previous 10 years. Amazing. And so you work with Life Powered. Could you just give us an overview if somebody maybe doesn't know or hasn't seen the amazing Instagram account? What is Life Powered? <laughs> what is it that y'all do? So the role of Life Powered is to raise America's energy IQ. Um, and we do that in a variety of ways. Um, we have people who do research 
Uh, we have people who do public testimony, um, and then people who really go all over the country um, discussing energy issues. Awesome. Fantastic. But you, you came from an education background. So I, I know did. a lot of the guys here came in policy wonks, but <laughs> what, why did you choose to go into education? Uh, well, I went into education. It was kind of originally sort of a fluke. I just applied to graduate school. I wanted a graduate degree, and um, it was really just what am I interested in? It wasn't like this moment where I was like, you know, my heart's burning to be a teacher. What were you studying before then? Um, <laughs> international relations and German. Okay, wow. That was my undergraduate, <laughs> and I had worked at the Red Cross, and I had done stuff oh, with wow. their um, international humanitarian law program mm -hmm. and health and safety. I taught swim lessons for a couple of summers. So. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to go back to graduate school. And so when I was looking through the course catalog and trying to figure out, I don't know, just something popped up. And I said, OK, secondary education. Mm -hmm. And it turned out to be the right choice. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know it at the time. I love that. What grades were you teaching? I taught ninth through 12th grades um, for 20 years. And I've taught in every public school environment, urban, rural um, the, you know, Title I schools, um, big schools, small schools, online schools, public schools, mm. private schools. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've really had a really broad experience um, with, you know, the opportunities what that have been afforded to me. What focusing on during that time? I did um, social studies, mm. uh, mostly AP courses, um, AP world history, U.S. history, government, economics, Oof. did some anthropology. Um, did some co-teaching with wow. English teachers. Um, yeah, like I say, I've I've done uh, many things. I taught German for a couple of years in South Carolina. So, um, you said AP history, and I, I think I got a flashback of PTSD from high school a little bit. I did not do well. For me, it was AP Eco. That was like, oh, oh yikes. <laughs> yeah, that macroeconomics is the killer. That was yeah. yeah that was let's make it tough. or break it. Yeah. My gosh. That's amazing. And then German. So why German? I had studied German for eight years. I had a fabulous German teacher in high school. Um, I kept in touch with her for many, many years mm, after yes. I graduated. And um, I went to Germany and studied in Germany. And oh, amazing. it was just really, I just went to my school principal and I was like, I mm. have this certification. Like, what do you think? And <laughs> I mean, it was just, my attitude has always been like, what's the next best thing? Right. Like what's, I never was satisfied mm. in my current um, in my in my position, I was always like, what's the next challenge? Mm. And so um, I just said, could we do this? And yeah. um, so we did. So what was the next challenge that made you switch one day and realize that there was something that you needed to do outside of education? Um, well, I taught during COVID mm. and um, I realized at that time very acutely the role that policy played in my day-to-day -day life. Mm, wow. And I was really interested in learning what goes on behind the scenes. And so my youngest son was graduating from high school. And um, I often, um, because I taught high school, I, I stayed in touch with a lot of my students and I often looked you know, for jobs and stuff for them. And so um, it just so happened I saw this job posted and I was mm -hmm. like, hmm, maybe I'll keep this one for myself. Yeah. Um, and so I looked at it and and I thought it was a really nice mix because um, my family, my my life has always been supported by energy. My dad was a nuclear engineer. My husband works in uh, the oil field, mm -hmm. and so I understand the value of energy right. um, and the role that it plays in my life. Mm -hmm. And so it just seemed like a good opportunity to sort of broaden my horizons mm -hmm. and share from my personal experiences. Yeah. Um, I, these stories that I always heard growing up, you know, my dad um, 
during Chernobyl, for example, he was able to tell us like really what was going mm-hmm. on, really what had happened in a way that was understandable and manageable so like that we weren't like had freaking had out. Access to yeah. That. Yeah. That's yeah. And I feel like that's why people are still scared now, right, for to go into that kind of energy. With nuclear? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of misunderstanding. You know, the, the, the energy that's used in nuclear power plants is not the same thing um, as like a bomb. Right. Um, and the way that, you know, we build the nuclear facilities in the United States, mm-hmm. um, it's really top notch, top of the line, just like everything America does with energy. Yep. There's so much safety. Um, and so many protocols and technologies that we have that mm. we really don't need to be uh, worried about these things. Yeah. And uh, but the other thing that I think is really interesting about your story is you've talked about your um, one of your sons realizing that the public school system doesn't always provide the right kinds of courses for for kids. And would would you be able to share some of that with us? Mm. Yeah. I, I have four boys mm-hmm. and they all went to public schools. And, you know, one of the reasons I chose the last school that I was at is that I wanted to be in a school with them. Right. I wanted to teach them. I just wanted to have that like, you know, old fashioned experience. Sure. And so um, I went and, and found a job at a school where we could all be together. Mm. And um, in that, I realized that not all of my children are fabulous students. <laughs> and um, so, in fact, you know, it's sort of like a joke in the family, but I was the one who put all of them in ISS at some point or uh-huh. another during their <laughs> high school careers. Um, but, uh, you know, seeing them in the classroom, it was such a unique perspective to see how they learned mm. and what they learned. Mm-hmm. And um, I I knew when they applied to college, like mm-hmm. what they should do, right. although it was their choice. I think I had a unique perspective to give them some guidance. Right. And so, um, yeah, one of my one of my kids, actually two of my boys, um, college was not the right fit for them. Mm. Um, one of them went ahead and went to A&M and, you know, decided that he would rather do something else right. about halfway through. And when my youngest son went, um, I, I just we had a very frank conversation Mm -hmm. and I was like you hate sitting in class Mm -hmm. like I can see how it pains you Mm -hmm. like here are some other options and so we went through the options and he ended up studying diesel mechanics at TSTC he's gonna finish early Mm -hmm. he took summer classes he just just rebuilt the engine of his car Mm -hmm. this summer (laughs) that's so I mean it's amazing and he's he's already getting the job offers Mm -hmm. he's already talking about the future and what's really exciting to me is that there are advanced options at TSTC that I was unaware of Mm -hmm. and so he's getting extra certifications so that he'll he'll be able to leave and have just the broadest variety of um and he's excited in his yeah. classes then, right? And he's really excited. And, you know, the other thing I'll say about this technical school experience is that when you have kids that graduate from a four-year college, mm-hmm. like, I know they do resume writing yeah. and, like, all this job prep and stuff, but it it's really nothing compared to what he's getting at right. TSTC. I mean, it is really just hands-on, um, people coming and talking to them, and there's a lot of accountability mm-hmm. um, with the process, and so... I'm super excited yeah. for his future. And I just, I can't say enough about the technical schools. Mm. Um, and, and I look at students, you know, any teacher who's honest, especially in high school, and we see these kids, we, we know that some of them, you know, they all want to go to college, but sure. like, 
you know. And then maybe they want to go to college because that's what's been presented as the best option. Right. For and they don't yeah. know what the other options are. Mm-hmm. And now I just look back and I just think there were so many kids that um, I wish I had this experience when yeah. I taught them. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Because you could have directed because them. Because I could have, yeah, because I could have I could have directed them. Well, I'm also just thinking about, like, I don't know if it was like this for you, Ariana, when you were growing up and in school, but when I was growing up, college was like a non-negotiable. Yeah. Like, it was... It, it was, was the default. Right. Mm-hmm. It was the only path. And it was like, the narrative was, if you don't go to college, like, you will never have a good life. You'll never mm-hmm. be independent. You'll never have skills. You'll never this, that, mm-hmm. the other. And... I I certainly don't regret my college experience. I loved my university. But sometimes I look back at what I do now as my job and I'm like, did we need to pay that much money for this? Mm -hmm. And I just I sit back and wonder, like, how might things have been different if maybe there were other opportunities presented to me Mm -hmm. or my little sister's extremely smart. But college wasn't her thing either. And, you know, we tried to force her in that direction and she didn't thrive. But now she has this amazing job and she is thriving. And so it's just refreshing to hear somebody, you know, sit down with their child and be like, this doesn't have to be your only path. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think you'd thrive here. Mm -hmm. And for him to go off and do that is just such a testament to a what a great mom you are but b like how awesome it is that you're so in touch with different options for different capabilities and you know so many of like the four-year degrees it's like so you major in what psychology and you Mm -hmm. get a bachelor's degree so what are you going to do with it unless you get the professional degree sure um and you know a lot of those jobs now even engineering jobs can be outsourced Mm -hmm. but your hairdresser Mm. She will never be outsourced. (laughs) No, (laughs) You will go to her all the time. And so um, I just cannot say enough about the value of these jobs and how integral they are. And I don't know what happened where we decided that these jobs were, you know, second rate or not as valuable. Well, you actually wrote about that in your article, right? Do you have Mm -hmm. some of the the pieces from that? Actually, yeah, this is a perfect opportunity to transition this conversation into the policy pulse. So, um, Courtney, you did write an article called It's Time to Talk About and Teach Science. And the crux of it was how the SBOE, you know, changed its regulations so that we could talk about science in the classroom in a much less politicized way. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, you know, the fact of the matter is that our teachers are sometimes misleading climate science being taught in the classroom. So could you break that down and kind of talk about that issue and, you know, where it's headed? Well, that one has been the one that I have tried to untangle in my mind Mm -hmm. since I took this job. Um, But, you know, the reality is there are second opinions for everything. If you get a diagnosis, you could go get a second opinion from Mm -hmm. another doctor. And you, um, you know, we are constantly, you know, one of the things in social studies that you teach is like, there are constantly um, innovations Mm -hmm. and changes and discoveries. Mm -hmm. And so to say that science is finite Mm -hmm. or defined um, is really a difficult thing for yeah. me to grasp. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they just discovered like a new um, a new uh, organ, like in 2019, like the interstitial, right? And like, can we do we even know if Pluto <laughs> is a planet? I'm exhausted. <laughs> do we? 
Yeah, well, go look it up. I could be saying it wrong, but it was like 2019. Oh we've had gosh. these bodies. People since Da Vinci have been taking them apart right. and like examining them, right? Like he and made all those new. diagrams and there's like a new organ. And like we right. can't agree on if Pluto is a planet or not, right? Yeah. I mean, there are all of these scientific mm -hmm. questions that sure. we still have. And so I look at um, this subject the same way, right? Right. Like things are constantly changing and evolving and there are a multitude of different opinions mm -hmm. depending on if you're talking to a physicist right. or a geologist. And so to um, narrow this down into one or two sentences that mm. will be part of an education standard mm. is very difficult. Yeah. It's very difficult. So what you would be looking for or what, what we would hope for is something that would say this like group is thinking in this way, like presenting that it is fact that way or what, what sort of, what well, would I that think look one like of the textbook? things is, you know, to consider the scientific method, right. Mm. And like, you have to do experiments and collect data and um, draw conclusions. Mm -hmm. But the thing about the scientific method is like, once you draw your conclusions, there's always an opportunity for retesting mm -hmm. and like updating your findings based on new questions that yeah. you have. And so I think that's the value of the way that um, standards have been written. Mm -hmm. in the teaks um, is that we can uh, sort of evolve our thinking right. in the questions that we're asking in our science classes. But right. there are some really interesting new standards that have um, been introduced. Um, one of them is the discussion of energy poverty mm. um, and the role of energy. Um, affordable, reliable energy and alleviating energy poverty. My favorite one, though, is the cost-benefit analysis. Mm -hmm. Kids um, who take science from grades 6 through 12 are now going to have to do what engineers and scientists do in real life and figure out what are the costs of something and what are the benefits of something. Yeah. You know, For example, um, considering where the um, lithium is sourced mm -hmm. to make the batteries, yeah. um, that would be a definite... Um, talking point for a cost-benefit analysis lesson because we're getting these things from, you know, co the Congo and from um, third world countries mm -hmm. and oftentimes it's slave labor. And so when we're driving our cars, do we make that cost, do we take that cost into account? So it's not just financial costs, but there are also ethical costs, mm -hmm. um, environmental costs, all kinds of opportunities that yeah. students have to really expand their learning right. and their knowledge and of, um, of these concepts that they're learning in yeah. the abstract, you know, to apply them to real life. Yeah, that ethical cost is something that I feel like is so interesting to tap into because I feel like you guys at Life Power do a really, really great job about the sheer honest truth about how that affects other people in different mm -hmm. countries. Where here in the United States, we're so focused on ourselves and thinking about how clean energy makes our lives better, but we don't even stop to think about, you know, how that affects people in other countries. So what would you say is maybe the biggest misconception about, you know, that area of, you know, energy poverty and, and clean energy and, you know, whatever else we're talking about here? Well, for me, I think the biggest takeaway is like what you're talking about with, um, I mean, it's not self-centered because it's like the life that we live, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just what we know. 
but um, to realize and understand the people around the world who don't have access to the energy that we have access to and how their lives are fundamentally different because of that and how so many problems as far as like health and safety and life expectancy, access to education, all of these things could be alleviated mm. um, by lifting these people out of poverty. And energy is one of the first steps wow. to making that change. That's good. So, And it's not just impacting like people in those other countries. The jobs that are available in, in that side of type of energy mm-hmm. is impacting people in the U.S. as well. I think you have the statistics on yeah, some of that. Yeah, it says so in your article. It looks like 91% of students don't have access to programs in oil and gas when oil and gas jobs actually provide an average salary of about a, hun- a little over $115,000 a mm-hmm. year. So can you maybe speak to, you know, that job gap here of like this, the wasted resource of students who could be thriving in these mm-hmm. jobs, but don't even know about yeah. it because of what we're being taught in high school. Well, those statistics are really similar for most blue collar jobs. If you mm. want to look at like electricians and carpenters and these things that we need um, to, for example, um, keep the housing industry going. Right. I mean, one of the costs that's one of the problems involved in the rising cost of housing is there is just a shortage of plumbers. There is a shortage of carpenters. And so they can charge premium rates for their services, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. we really need to focus um, in a more broad sense on these blue collar jobs mm-hmm. and raising up these um, these future job owners be- mm-hmm. or these future business owners, because that's where you see real entrepreneurship in, right. the, in this field. Mm-hmm. OK, yeah. um, but speaking specifically to that, um, when you talk to universities um, who have petroleum engineering programs, one of the issues that they find is that um, students believe that this is a dead end field because, mm. um, you know, oil and gas is going away. Yeah. And I didn't where, even think about that aspect of it. Yeah. 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 And, and also, um, you know, there's a, um, I guess there's a perception about these jobs sure. for many students, but the reality is there are a billion people on the planet who don't have access to energy. Mm-hmm. And so the next step is, um, you know, for them to have broader access to these petroleum based products. Right. Um, and so the, I mean, it's not going away. Mm-hmm. It's it's only going to grow. When you look at the projections, it may not be growing in the United States because mm-hmm. we're kind of at a plateau. Yeah. But we're talking about, you know, the African countries and a lot of countries in Asia who are just coming into their own. Mm-hmm. And so we're actually seeing an increase in uh, petroleum use mm-hmm. across the world. Because so, of material stuff, right? Because yeah. it's not just used for... For energy. Right. Well, it's not just used for energy. I mean, there are 6,000 <laughs> products that, I mean, we're probably wearing many of them, right? Yeah. Um, my joke when I talk to kids is like, if you did not have petroleum in your life, you would be naked and afraid and without a <laughs> cell phone. So, and it's true, you know, anything that you have that is a plastic product mm-hmm. comes from oil. Most of your cosmetic products has yeah. um, petroleum in it. So, um, yeah, it's... Um, It's not going anywhere. I'm not Mm -hmm. ready to give that up if it's in my makeup, (laughs) let me tell you. So why would you say that there is this preconceived notion as, you know, kids are going off to college and maybe don't want to get into oil and gas because they think it's either a dead end or they think it's not ethical? Why? Why is that? Like, what's the pinpointed reason why kids think that? 
I mean, I think a lot of it probably goes back to media. You know, their their job, any I don't care what media source you listen to, mm-hmm. um, you know, even on your Instagram, it's always about the clicks. Right. Yeah. And so um, it's easy to tell the hard, scary story, because that's for whatever reason, we are just wired Mm-hmm. To ha- to click on the stuff that produces the most <laughs> anxiety right. in our lives, yeah. and so um, I think a lot of it is that mm-hmm. um, that it's that it's driven by what the kids are seeing on social media. Yeah, but speaking about some of that, the climate alarmism mm-hmm. on social media, um, Life Powered also had an article a few months ago called "The New Trend Plaguing Young People: Eco Anxiety," and um, it goes over how kids between or young adults between 16 and 25 are now more scared than ever about mm-hmm. climate change and really fearing it's going to alter their um, the lives and destroy the world so much so that there's now people who've been actually killing themselves mm, out of fear. Right. So like on Earth Day this year, there was a guy who set himself on fire. And in, um, the, there was a New York Times article um, in 2020 about this woman who um, was so scared that she ended up taking her own life. Um, and she wrote to them saying that she... Um, wanted uh, didn't want to be reciting poetry as the world was burning Mm. and I mean there's also all those protests happening Mm -hmm. so um, what do you make of all of that anxiety is that something that Mm -hmm. existed before now or I I remember when I was in like third or fourth grade this science lesson we had on acid rain and like we all thought that we were gonna like melt or something like it was gonna oh burn gosh. us alive i mean it was really scary sure um do you remember they'd have pictures of like statues that have like had like deterioration yeah. yes yeah. i remember seeing those yes. in my class yes. in did y'all go to <laughs> it was scary and i i, I was remember wondering what being happened scared. <laughs> yeah well you know what happened innovation mm-hmm. right um and now because of the innovation that ha- you know we've one of the great things about the united states is that we have always been the leaders in um, in developing new technologies and new right. industries to mm-hmm. you know fight the problems. What is it that um, uh, what is the motherhood of inve- necessity is the motherhood, motherhood of, of invention, invention. Yeah. right? And so you know I think what happened is that um, people saw a problem and they solved it mm-hmm. um, using cost benefit analysis mm-hmm. and technologies and all of those things. And so um, I really believe that um, we have. A lot of um, power to control our own destinies by putting um, these discoveries and these innovations to good use. And like we're talking about acid rain and, you know, back in the 70s, you know, you would see these commercials on TV about how polluted the air was. Like you could Mm -hmm. see the smog in the air. And there was this commercial with this like Indian and he's like going through the river and it's like all dirty. And he's like crying a tear at the end, talking about how we're like all going to die from pollution and dirt and stuff. But, you know, we saw a problem and we created a solution. And Mm -hmm. now today our air is 80 um, there's like an 80% reduction in pollution mm. in, in the quality of our air. Wow. Um, so, you know, and I, I so I, I'm just saying like awareness of like the reality of the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also considering like, you know, these 
these climate protesters, like when I'm seeing them like at the Burning Man thing and they're like on that, they're like sitting on the road and they've got yeah, like these orange jackets yeah. on. They were, it was like in, in Nevada, right, is where Burning Man's happening. Right. And, and so there was, I think his videos like gone around a lot of social media where they're like in a line protesting and the cop just like comes through, I mean, rams through it, which is the first time I've seen police actually take right, action yeah. right away. Um so that, that's what was happening a few weeks ago. Uh, what were you going to say? Yeah. Well, what I was going to say is like what I noticed is they're wearing like those little safety vests. And I'm like, y'all know those are petroleum products you're wearing, right? <laughs> no, they don't know. No, like, right. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So it's like having this awareness and and of, of really the role that it plays in our lives, I think, is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, to that end, um, understanding that. If you want the world to be cleaner, like look at the places today in the world that are dirty, Mm -hmm. okay? In South America, in Africa, in parts of Asia, what else do those places not have? They don't have access to affordable, reliable energy. And if you want to clean up the world, the best thing you can do is lift these people out of poverty. Mm. And so, um, you know, I guess because I have a social studies background, I can see those things maybe a little bit differently um, than what a science teacher um, might approach it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I think that, you know, having conversations and discussions and just building awareness and understanding that everybody wants things, you know, everybody wants the world to be a good place. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we're not working against each other. We really are working towards, we should be Mm -hmm. working towards the same goals. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when I feel like there's this view of maybe conservatives of like, we don't care about the environment or earth or, you know, energy when it's like, actually, we we care a great deal. And in fact, you know, especially you guys at Life Power just have so much research and so much knowledge about what actually creates clean energy mm-hmm. and can lift people out of energy poverty. So back to what you were saying of like, no, we really do care about the yeah. same common goal. We just have very different means of getting there, it right. seems like. And we, we do care about the people that mm-hmm. it's impacting. Right. Much. And and a lot of the, you know, I don't really focus on policy, but right. really when you look at the policies, who do they hurt the most? They hurt the people who are the most disenfranchised, yeah. right? Um, when you're talking about like energy subsidies and things mm-hmm. like that, um, when our energy bills go up, it may not affect us as much as it would someone, um, you know, who is more, you know, impoverished yeah and so i think we do care um and you know i i it i don't like one of the things you know coming from the classroom that it feels like teachers are always like in a tug of war Mm. between um you know political agendas and we're just like all we want to do is teach all we want is for kids to learn um and and to grow up Mm -hmm. and have happy productive lives i mean really at the end of the day that's really what teachers want Mm -hmm. Um, but oftentimes we are you know caught in the middle of these opposing points Mm -hmm. of view especially in a balanced point of view i feel like like that's something that i just feel resonates from you is like you know it's it's just balanced and it's an opportunity to just think critically and ask questions and that's the whole point of science and like you were talking we were talking about ap classes so like in the ap classes there's the dbq right the document-based question Oh, no. Do you remember this? Okay. <laughs> and so you have this one question and you have these seven documents that you yeah. have to analyze and they're mm-hmm. all from different points of view. 
right? And so it's like I'm, I would always tell my students, it would be like I'm, we all see um, a fight happen in the cafeteria, mm. but I might see it on the closed circuit TV. Mm-hmm. You might have seen it in person. Yeah. Somebody else might have heard about it down the hall. Like we all have a different perspective um, of it. So how do we get to a consensus mm. Or how do we how do we draw a conclusion from all of these different perspectives? And so, yeah, it's not teaching kids what to think; it's teaching them how to think. Mm-hmm. And I think and giving it is, them the options of like of, of those points right, of view so they tools. can come to that. Yeah. Giving them the balanced perspective. And we even have like one of the things we're working on right now. We work on these lesson plans, and one of them we're working on right now is a town hall. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it is is you give the kids a scenario, an environmental scenario about um, about a power plant that's coming to their community mm-hmm. and they have to um, look at these little cards about the different people who would be involved in that decision making process wow. to see what would be the best approach to take at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, these real life um, opportunities or real life scenarios mm-hmm. to really sort of hash it out and yeah. figure out what it is that, you know, you think about these things. That's so smart. So. I love that. Because especially I got out of school and I was like, I don't know who makes decisions about what. I don't care. Like, that's <laughs> what an awesome and interactive way to teach people. And so when kids that, get out of school. And then remember that, like, whenever, like, d- communities are making decisions, it impacts more than just, like, yeah. one person. It impacts right. all of these different exactly. things. And everybody has a different experience, a different role. And so mm-hmm. it's going to impact different people differently. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, Well, moving away and into our advice segment, you know, Courtney, you're really amazing in the sense that you've just had an incredible professional background, but you're also a wife and a mom and you've really had it all. So for our younger viewers who, you know, want to have a family one day, but also want to continue and have a robust career, what's your best advice for how to move forward in both of those things and manage it well? Well, I will say one of the blessings of my career, which I didn't really realize until the boys were almost gone is that um, I did have the opportunity because of my the job that I had to really be with them after school and in the summers and um, I think your schedule was because my schedule schedule was their schedule yeah and so I think one of the hardest things for moms is they feel like they have to choose Mm -hmm. and I I really um, I've thought a lot about this because Although I don't admit to being over 25, I realize (laughs) that I am entering a new phase of life. And so a lot of my son's friends who are getting married and having families, Mm -hmm. like I'm seeing them have these discussions about like, you know, when, um, you know, am I going to work after I have a baby and these Mm -hmm. kinds of things. And so I think my advice is. And you can take this with a, you know, for what it's worth. Um, But I took two years off when the boys were really little. Mm -hmm. And I don't regret that at all. Mm. Like, I don't regret spending those two years with them, um, eating lunch at the picnic table every day and, you know, having those memories. Um, But I think it's important for moms to remember that, you can have it all, mm-hmm. but maybe not all at the same time. Mm. And so and it's okay to have different life pa- or different times in your life or seasons, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, I didn't take on a job that would require me to be away from home more until yeah. after they were gone. Yeah. Um, I think being a mom is like the best thing that you can do mm-hmm. is if you want to challenge yourself. I mean, really challenge yourself. Yeah. It's really the best <laughs> thing you can do. Um, 
And I think that, you know, we need to put value in the fact that we really are raising humans Mm -hmm. and that we want to raise good humans. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think you can have it all, maybe not all at the same time. And man, I just think we put too much pressure on ourselves, Mm -hmm. no matter what choice we make. If we decide to stay home, we're always worried about, did I make the right decision? If we're working, did we make the right decision? Yeah. And I think once you make the decision, just be at peace with it. Mm. I think you just have to be at peace with the role that you've chosen and the decision that you've made for whatever that season it's is. It's also impressive how throughout your career you kept moving into these different roles and spaces and not being afraid to take on that next challenge as you were putting it. So what gave, gives you that motivation to, to push yourself out there and try something new? I don't know. I just always have felt like throw throw it against the wall and see what sticks. And sometimes it works and sometimes <laughs> yep. it doesn't. Um, but you don't know if you don't try. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I probably got that from teaching the swimming lessons because there's a lot of risk. <laughs> there's a lot of risk involved when you ask those kids to, you know, trust you and they've just met you, you know, 10 minutes ago to, you know, that you'll like, going to jump <laughs> in the deep end. <laughs> I promise I'll catch you. Um, so, yeah, but um, I, I, I don't know. But it's paid off at the end, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, we just, life was so much simpler. I think we need to stop reading self-help books and just, like, (laughs) go with the flow of life and just, you know, enjoy it and not stress about it so much. I feel like especially as women, we get so in our own heads about, like, the right move and the right choice. And we get so caught up in cost analysis, I guess, of like this decision versus this decision. And to hear you say, you know, sometimes you just got to let it go and let it flow and things work out the way it's supposed to. And clearly your professional background is such a testament to that. So it's just so refreshing. And then on the tangible side of, you know, parents and this conversation that we just had, which is so robust, what can parents do about districts that are maybe lacking in CTE classes Mm -hmm. for oil and gas or mechanics or all those things that would maybe be a better fit for their kids? Well, I think um, the first thing parents need to do is like really educate themselves on what the opportunities are Mm. um, and also what the districts that they are in offers the kids, right? Because there are, you know... um, programs where you can go to a community college Mm -hmm. for the day in some larger districts. Um, And if your district doesn't have those opportunities, find ways for your kids to be involved through, um, you know, 4-H programs Mm -hmm. or or whatnot. Um, You know, there are all kinds of like groups where you have from like my son would have loved to join like a classic cars group or something where he could tinker with, you know, people, experience people on cars and whatnot. You know, we've given, I think as a, I remember when I was teaching a long time ago, I had this really troubled student. Mm -hmm. And I I mean, I didn't know him, right? I mean, he was in my class for 45 minutes a day, Mm -hmm. but he was giving me trouble. And his mom came in and we had this big meeting Mm -hmm. and she was like, well, I don't know what to do with him. He's your problem. Yeah. And I was like, (laughs) I just met him. That's really sad. Like, I don't I don't know. Like, he's not my problem. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm glad to help him in the ways that I can. But like, that's not. Yeah, that wasn't my role. That's not my role. And I think I think we have given 
as parents a lot of our responsibility over to schools mm. you know there's this like program it's called adulting day where like they take these seniors and they teach them how to change a tire and like change the oil in their car and balance I feel like a checkbook I liked that. okay <laughs> I feel like I and, like, needed that. and how to cook but i'm looking at this and i'm like but why is the school doing this and not the parents that's, that's right. so good mm, that's true so i feel like if parents were just to take and and it goes back to the job thing and the career thing that you're mm-hmm. talking about is like parents are are so have so many responsibilities especially mm-hmm. financially to care for their families yeah. it's really hard but we've got to make the sacrifice and like be engaged and involved in our right. kids education that's just yeah. the bottom line and guidance counselors i'm going to tell you they do the best they can but they're overwhelmed mm-hmm. okay and at the end of the day you're going to have to seek out the opportunities for yeah. your kids right. by calling the community colleges by calling your district um, by finding out really what is it that your kids are good at and what are they interested in because you'll have a better idea of that than their teachers will right and not just assuming that college is the way to go but Mm -hmm. like really find out what are they interested in you know one of the things I said to my son just recently um, is um, he's one of my my older boys is talking about graduate school but he doesn't like me he doesn't know what he wants to study and I said Mm -hmm. well you know what I did I just went and read the course catalog there you go (laughs) and I said what 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 interests me what do I like and so I think just helping them figure out what it is that they're good at what it is that they like by finding them opportunities Mm -hmm. is really uh, a valuable thing that you can do for your kids and It's also these conversations have been some of the most meaningful conversations I've had with my boys, mm, really, Yeah. because I'm really asking them, like, who are you? Yeah, and wow. I'm like, really just trying to get to know them as adults mm-hmm. and like they're seeing me in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, and also, you know, the, the conversations they're having with my husband mm-hmm. about like guy things and <laughs> <laughs> husband man responsibility yep. things oh, i wow. mean so it's it calls really into responsibility in other areas mm-hmm. too yeah i mean it's really been a great transition period for our family yeah. i think what's really cool about what you're talking about is i think some and i'm not a parent yet um but you know this idea of i think it's really easy to be like yeah we're raising kids and you know you get caught up in you know getting them ready for bedtime and taking them to their sports stuff and all of that is great and worthwhile and honorable but i think what's really interesting about what you say is that it looks like to me that you raised adults you know you really really got to know your kids mm-hmm. and invested in them and not just what their life looks like now but what it could be I in feel the like future going to stick with me the idea of like i'm raising my kids to become adults right yeah. Yeah. cuz you are you know you, if you want them out of the house I'm sure it's like well you don't want them to be kids but you wrote you helped them get raised into men and figure right. out their path and um, I think that's just a really interesting way of parenting and, and really being your kids advocate mm-hmm. truly for their future yeah. so I love that you said well that. and they don't know and they do need guidance right you know but we we said early on we have an exit only policy in our house like there's no coming back okay <laughs> and like during COVID I've got to say like my two older boys they stayed sure they they you know even when classes were shut down and stuff they mm-hmm. stayed and worked they did not come home and so mm-hmm. I was really impressed with them for making that choice to do that yeah. um, and not you know just kind of lay on the couch like you know a lot of other kids were doing mm-hmm. um, so it really was I mean it's for them but it's for me too it's like yeah. a survival thing <laughs> totally. like, I raised them once I'm not doing it again if you ever write a parenting so. book will you just give us early access and let us know because yeah, I feel I'll like I've learned one. so much <laughs> that I want to take out into well the future. it's not perfect and it sure is messy but um but you know 
And so if parents are wanting to get more involved with with their students and like some of the educational aspects of like like you were talking about with energy, what's a resource that they could use to, mm. to learn so more? So I have them? a sub stack. It's called um, classroompower.org. And you can just, you know, I guess Google it, classroompower.org. And you can look and see. I have... Um, just different kinds of resources. Like right now we're promoting Energy Awareness Month and we have these five lessons. One is on conservation and one is just what is energy. Um, we have a great cost benefit analysis opportunity for mm -hmm. high school kids. Um, so, you know, that's one thing that we're promoting right now, but I have like lesson plans, um, suggested book lists mm -hmm. and podcasts and um, posters. I send teachers posters of oh, all cool. the different hydrocarbon products that are in their daily lives. And so um, did I say lesson plans? We're doing yeah, lesson plans. Fantastic. So yeah, we've got. And then for young adults like myself who feel like their environmental science <laughs> class may have left out a few things, what's a, a resource for um, where adults can learn more about energy policy and what they're doing? Well, I mean, Life Powered has its own website. I'm kind of separate from them because I'm like all about the teaks and, mm -hmm. you know, what TEA tells me I got to, you know, put out there as far as resources and lessons. Mm -hmm. But if you're interested in policy um, and research, um, we that would be on the Life Powered website. Mm. So org, <laughs> And is there anywhere else that we can find you or follow what you're doing? Classroom Powered is fine if that's the... Yeah, <laughs> that's really it. <laughs> so go to that's all we powered. got right now. Yeah, we'll see what happens in the future. So Fantastic. And Britt, where can people find you to learn more about what you're up to? Well, follow us at Right on Crime. We're on all of the different social media platforms. I know Life Powered is too. And Right on Crime also has their own website at rightoncrime.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us, yeah, thank Courtney. Thank you, Courtney. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for the tea. <laughs> You're welcome. And anyone who's watching can always tune in every single Friday to the Sweet Tea Series. We'll see you next time.